you're getting this down, Bully, it's good. Are you getting this down, Bully, you should. Pretty promises and my desperate amends couldn't put me back together again. Couldn't put me back together again. But you did. You did. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with change makers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is proven to help us age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. And to find out more about this podcast, which just won an Anthem Award, hop on over to Zestful Aging. And while you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind the scenes looks at our guests and other fun tidbits. And if you love the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you shared it with your friends. I'm really excited for our guest today. Jonathan Brooke is an internationally renowned singer, songwriter, and producer, and she wrote the theme to Buffy the Vampire Slayer and has collaborated with the likes of Katy Perry. Brooke also created and performed the critically acclaimed one-woman off-Broadway musical called My Mother has four noses, which is about her relationship with her mother whom she cared for before she succumbed to Alzheimer's. We're going to hear some more about that today. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. There's a lot of really fun things that I've discovered. And the first (laughs) one is, you have had a very long and successful career because I watched a video of you on the David Letterman show. <laughs> From, yes, back in my youth. Yep. <laughs> you did not look like you were freaking out. You looked like you were just singing to your friends. What was that like? Wow. Well, that's good that I fooled you because I, I think that I don't know if this happens to other performers in those kinds of, you know, high end situations. But in my mind, I was freaking out. I was <laughs> I kept thinking, Oh, my gosh, have I already sung this verse? Did I wait? Is this oh, the second verse? No. Like, Oh, no, where am I? Where did I? You know, and then everything works out fine, because you've sung that song a million times. And it's sort of kinetic memory at that point. But I it, number one, it was it is as cold as everyone used to complain that it that it is. And uh I just, I'm just so glad I survived. And I made it to the chair, which was a, apparently a big deal. The The guys in the oh. control room later mentioned to me that, that it is a big deal to be invited to sit in the chair and kibitz with him afterwards. So I felt really proud about that. I see. He ge- he seemed to genuinely enjoy your work. He was smiling and looked very uh, enthusiastic. Well, it uh, I heard that uh, uh, he actually was a fan that he had heard that song linger on the radio because he listens to WXPN, which was the station playing it at that point. And he really liked it. And so he told his booking person, I forget her name, but uh, she mm-hmm. got in touch with 
my manager, Pat, who's also my husband, and that's how it happened. It was Dave's uh, impetus. Wow, that's that's a great story. Do you have any other favorite experiences as a creative artist you'd like to share? I think, well, the one-woman show is pretty top 10, as well as being invited into the Woody Guthrie archives, too. Mm -hmm. I made a full record of the treasure that I found in the Woody Guthrie archives. I, I was able to sort of pour through all of his writing and sketching and painting and cobble together these beautiful lyrics that became my record called The Works. So those, the Woody Guthrie thing was just a really exciting experience. And the creating of this one woman show, which was at the time terrifying and so beyond what I thought I could do, but it turned out to be like the most important thing I ever did do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that came out of some uh, experiences that were, I'm guessing, pretty mixed. I mean, I, I know <laughs> how much you talk about how much you loved your mom, what a wonderful presence she was, how funny she was, and then you took care of her when she developed Alzheimer's. Yeah, it was uh, one of those calls that I couldn't turn down. Um, my mother had been super independent and very, very adamant that she never be a burden on me and my brothers. And sure enough, as, as Alzheimer's creeps in, and if you haven't had those conversations with your person, you just have to start making decisions. And there was this, what I call the, you know, the still small voice was her feeling really bewildered and and scared for the first time and i and i was there with her when she said basically i i i need you <laughs> mm. and it was so uncharacteristic and so poignant that i just hopped to and i dropped everything and i moved her in with me and my husband in new york mm-hmm. wow Uh, And that's, yeah, that's the conversation I think a lot of our listeners have been having and or anticipating. Um, Yeah, what what was that like when you moved her in and it sounded like the Alzheimer's had just begun? How how did you uh, sort of navigate that in your lives? Yeah, well, as many people will probably agree, uh, your beloved may be really doing a great job of hiding how how much further gone they are than than you thought and because I was traveling as much as I was I wasn't seeing her day to day and she could really put on a good show on the phone (laughs) Mm. but uh that summer before I moved her in I spent a good two months just with her and so observing her her day to day so she was she was really needing 24 7 care Uh, wow at that point yeah at that point and it it was uh, she was in a sort of assisted living facility, but it was just way way beyond them being able to care for her. She would fall, and they just didn't even know what to do. They quit. She's she was big. She was like a good one eighty. So it was hard for you know just caregivers there that weren't even caregivers to to get her back up again. So. Uh, I just, it was, it's just just so clear, like, wow, this is, this is an urgent call and I will answer it. And Mm -hmm. my husband, actually, my brother's like, you can't do this. This is, you know, this is, 
Oof, that's really hard. And my husband was the one who's like, no, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. We are doing this. She's your mother. And so that's how it began. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what your setup was in New York City, but uh, <laughs> it's not known for its large living areas. Yeah, we were incredibly lucky. We we live in the, we lived in this great building up on 107th and Fifth Avenue. So it was sort of Spanish Harlem, but mm-hmm. on the park. And there happened to be, uh, you know, about a month after we moved her in with us we realized that we just couldn't handle it in our apartment. Uh, there was a, a small apartment on the third floor that oh. opened up and we were able to rent that and move mom down there and hire around the clock people, including wow. my husband's sister, Julie, who moved to New York from Columbia, Missouri to help me out. And she was my partner and most beloved caregiver of mom. What a beautiful coming together. And, it really uh, was. Luck too. I would have died if, if I didn't have Julie. Yep. Because mm-hmm. there are times I know that probably some of your fans and colleagues and people around the world, you you know that, that caregiving is just this sacred, beautiful work, but it is grueling. And there are times when you worry that you will go first because you are so tired. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, people talk about it like you, there's not even a word that describes the level of fatigue. It's just cellular. Yeah. And then your your friends and colleagues will say, well, you really need to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to go, you know, really do some self-care. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. when, is, when mm-hmm. am I going to do that? And with what extra dough? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I was lucky enough that my husband could sort of keep us afloat. So I wasn't trying to juggle a full-time job or, mm-hmm. you know, I stopped touring and I stopped doing my normal things. And mom was my full-time gig. But there are people that are doing this who are also mm-hmm. working full time and and who have kids who have kids and mm-hmm. they're so they're they're parenting both their parents and their children and holding mm-hmm. up jobs and i just hats off <laughs> mm. oh for yeah that's right that's right there's a lot of people caregiving who are not getting paid and not getting acknowledged and i've certainly had people on the show talk about that Uh, Mm -hmm. predicament and social problem that needs to be addressed. So when you were caring for your mom and uh, she was um, suffering from Alzheimer's, sometimes, you know, I think creatives can take, um, how shall I say it? It's like that can become a creative uh, outlet. Or I, I wonder being with her, were you thinking, that could be a song or this could be something. <laughs> I mean, this kind of pain, this kind of experience, um, I'd like to express it musically. Was that a thought you had? It was a constant thought. <laughs> and actually, my mother was very funny and she was very dramatic. So <laughs> often she would be the one saying, Bully, that's my nickname, and and mm-hmm. she somehow she held on to that. She never forgot my name. Uh, Bully, are you know this is really this is really good stuff. Now we <laughs> we should write this down, and we we should pro- the- we should make a play out of it, and we should take it to Broadway. And, and here's some like, content for you. <laughs> and here's some new content. And so I would just be like, Mom, you know, you're right. This is 
you're a genius and I love you so much and you're so funny. And yes, I am writing it all down. And so I, I was and I at the time I was too tired to figure out what form it would take. Mm-hmm. I knew I would, you know, I've always been a songwriter and a and a maker of records. So I knew I would be writing songs and they would sort of help me through like filtering it into creativity. But I, I kept feeling like maybe mom was right. This is way bigger than my next record. This is theater, you know? Uh-huh. And so I started thinking in terms of, huh, like how, how do I tell this story in, in all of the ways that I'm capable of. I was a dancer earlier in my life. I'm a songwriter, but I, I'm also a performer. I'm a storyteller. So how will I tell this story in a different way? And that's what led me to making My Mother Has Four Noses, my my show. It's so interesting that she was there co-creating the this with you. Totally. Yes. And and there were days when I, I literally was running to my computer to like write things down that were just no one would believe them unless mm. I wrote them down and then made a play out of it. Mm. Wow, it sounds like that must have given it such deep meaning. It's not just like, oh, let me tell you the story about something that happened to me, but this collaboration. Yes. And I think I've spoken about this a fair amount. What what was beautiful and harrowing and like the depth and the layeredness of the stories that you earn from from the these relationships i think that's what also made it feel imperative that i that i do it because everybody who's been through that kind of caregiving knows like the comedy and the tragedy are often simultaneous Often mm-hmm. there's something hysterically funny that that happens mm-hmm. at the most excruciating, painful moment. Like like even as my mother was quote unquote actively dying, there was this crazy funny stuff that was happening, and my my daughter brain was weeping and mourning, and then my my creative brain was like, oh my god, that's mm. so funny, so like, rich. How do mm. I balance this? Like, wait, I, let me get this down. Don't die yet. I. Have- Holding this, this these two extremes at yes, the same time. It's crazy and gorgeous and universal. And I think that's what uh, I love about creativity and songwriting and theater. And I think that's what people really responded to. They It gave them permission to laugh and cry at the same time, to like joke about poop management and then, mm-hmm. you know, and then see this sort of weird actively dying scene where where it's almost like Keystone Cops comedy and yet this is this sacred passing. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of one of the authors I interviewed. She wrote a book called Somebody Stole My Iron. And that's what her <laughs> mom kept saying. <laughs> you know, how do you respond to that? Uh-huh. Well, you know, as as caregivers of dementia patients know, you you just agree and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's so terrible. Well, yes, I'm going to have to go get you a new one. I'm so sorry that happened. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what is that? There's a name for that. Is it dignity lie or something? There's a there's a kind of a industry yeah. name. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So you were right in it, being her daughter, her caregiver, and also 
just using this experience as <laughs> I you was said a co-writer <laughs> your co her co right you were you were sort of taking notes as it was happening mm -hmm. mm. how long did it take after she died that you were able to put this together in into a production well i had a deadline so mm -hmm. it uh I had been telling my friend Tracy Brigden, who was the artistic director at Pittsburgh City Theater, some of the stories that were taking place. And I was sending her some of the songs I was writing. And she, she encouraged me and she sort of confirmed, yeah, this is theater. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm putting you in my new play festival June 1st. So mom died January 31st. And I had this hard deadline of like, well, I got to put something together by June 1st. So I just, the writing of this piece was kind of part of my grieving process. And I just, I just burrowed into it. And sure enough, I had a, I had a finished kind of first draft June 1st. Mm -hmm. And you had not... Uh, had experience as a playwright or no. any of this? No. <laughs> nope. Mm -hmm. No, I approached it and Tracy was hugely helpful with this uh, because it was it was so daunting. Like, I'm not a playwright and I'm certainly not an actor. Uh, uh, and she's like, well, you are. And I'm I just so she said, just take it a, a, a chunk at a time. Just start writing the, the smaller stories and then we'll figure out how they go together. Mm -hmm. And that was hugely helpful, like to think of it as chapters that didn't necessarily need to be chronological they just had to be like what's the best most distilled version of this particular event okay do that first mm -hmm. and then do that song and then write another story so i had these sort of chapters and palette cleansers in between and uh, that was the way i got my brain sort of less terrified about the bigger picture mm-hmm yeah, yeah, that takes courage to do something totally different. <laughs> I have never been more terrified than every night when I walked on stage on 42nd Street at the Duke Theater, right across from Lion King, mm -hmm. to do By yourself? Show. By myself. Uh-huh. You couldn't <laughs> even hide behind your fellow actors. No. It was just you. It was me. And then I had uh, these beautiful arrangements that I made with uh, my guitar player, Ben Butler. Uh, I had these arrangements that we had created for cello and electric guitar. So I did have this bed of beautiful ambient music that supported me and supported the storytelling as well. But I was the only person on stage. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I love that you did that and you really stretched yourself, especially you were, were you roughly in middle age at that point or? Yeah, I had just mm -hmm. turned 50. Aha. Uh -huh. Yup. Aha, uh -huh. that really uh, puts a fine point on it, doesn't it? It was I mean, wicked intense and I had just, mm -hmm. I have not spoken of this publicly, but I had just finished radiation for uh, breast cancer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was coming out of that radiation fatigue. I, w I had just had bronchitis, and there I was on February 14th going into this intensely daunting thing. And it was such a 
great proving ground and a great sort of, wait a minute, I've got this moment. Like I can, if I can do this, <laughs> I think I'm going to be okay. And an F you to death. And a F you to death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, a celebration of love, of of just the largest sense of love that I had ever felt. And that was the whole point of the show was like, this is a love story, people. This is not about death or dementia. Mm-hmm. This is a love story. And you will walk away loving, if not me, you're going to love my mother. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever thought that doing that was healing, like deeply healing, not only emotionally, but just your whole being? Absolutely. Yes, it was. Uh, and it, it, I mean, best medicine, best best way through, for me at least, f- through that, that grieving process was to celebrate this crazy character that was my mother. And the one bummer is that I, I went so deeply into this sort of last stretch with her that I do have trouble still conjuring normal mom, you know, pre-dementia mom. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one thing that I I struggle with sometimes is like, wait, I, ca- I can't get that picture. I can't get that really clear picture of her pre-dementia in my mind anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about um, dancing being an important part of your life and physicality and um, I think taking care of your your body and now that you are older than 50 uh, what's it like to experience <laughs> a body that is not as I mean I don't want to put words in your mouth I, this is what I experience <laughs> yeah. uh, when I do that it, it does not recover as fast and it doesn't want to do things that used to be quite easy how has that transition been for you it makes me so angry. <laughs> I, on the one hand, I can't complain because I still feel pretty fit and I feel pretty limber because I started dancing when I was six. So I still have that flexibility and I've been doing yoga now for 25 years. But I certainly, you know, I had a hip replacement not that long after mom died. I struggle with sort of neck arthritis stuff and I just mm-hmm. fell the other day I was so mad I oh. fell the other day and like falling Dignities. is no longer the same thing <laughs> so my shoulder is all ginchy now and anyway I'm not going to complain I I have to say uh, on the one hand I'm I've been very lucky I'm I feel pretty fit and I've I've taken good care over the years to to remain sort of nimble and lithe uh, but I I makes me mad that things hurt more now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a betrayal, isn't it? You know, totally. like, what, what? why are you so sore and having to walk like a crab after you play tennis? <laughs> What's the problem here? Right. And then getting up too quickly? <laughs> What's uh, that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that something that you've had to sort of talk to yourself about or how are you uh 
getting some peace around that. Well, I think in, in a way it's humbling and good medicine for me, uh, having been a really hardcore dancer till I was about 30. And that's when I got my first record deal and, and kind of just, you know, decided, well, I guess this is going to be a better livelihood for <laughs> mm-hmm. than modern dance where you made maybe five to 10 grand a year. And it's just not sustainable and physically not sustainable after, you know, maybe you can last till you're 40. So that was a, a gift. But my point is like, I had always been super competitive, you know, it's a, it's a cutthroat world. So, you know, I was really, really hardcore trained as a dancer. That was my main gig. And to be lit, to, to be, to have to let that go, that identity of like, well, I'm the best at this thing mm-hmm. and I can do the splits and I can put my leg behind my ear mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm going to win and I'm going to be, you know, th- it's been really humbling and great for me to be like, I don't have to be the best in the room anymore. <laughs> you know, yoga is not competitive. You just, I've been really had to be focused on like, what's best for my body? You know, how do I maintain this level of flexibility, but not hurt myself every day? You know, how do I do this? I've been doing Bikram yoga for 25 years. Ah. And I know I'm just have this meticulous knowledge of like exactly how far I can go in each posture and exactly how much of each thing is the right amount for my particular abilities at this age. And that's been really good for the competitive side of me. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I'm, I'm listening and I'm thinking, I'm going to use the word perfectionism, but you can say, <laughs> refute that if you want. Um, and then, you know, you're driven, you're, you know, ambitious. Um, you have to be, but yeah. you're also a creative and yeah. I, you know, those two sometimes do not uh, get along together because of course the creativity is about the freedom, trial and error, letting it flow. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate those two extremes? That is kind of my daily challenge is to sit back and free up enough. And this was, that was part of the reason that the Woody Guthrie experience was so deep for me because I was witnessing in his archives, in his work, in his letters, in his journals, I was witnessing this absolute free spirit Mm. who was not caught up in competition or self-incrimination or he just was in the flow like all the time. And it was this great painless experience for me to work with his words and somehow feel like, you know, he died in 67, I think, but he, I felt like he was in the room just egging me on like, go girl, you know, you got this. Uh-huh. And it was this very telling creative lesson. And I have tried to keep learning from that and get out of my own way and stop with the, you know, self editing and the mean girl on the shoulder saying that sucks. Like, you should, you know, <laughs> And it's, it's been a huge part of, uh, also teaching has helped me become much kinder to myself mm-hmm. and much less of a perfectionist because I'm, I am trying to inspire others and to goad them to not be afraid and to try all the things and, and not worry about it being perfect right away. So I, 
in teaching others, I have been teaching myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to practice what you preach. Otherwise, you end up looking hypocritical, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> hate that. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share a song with us. Um, maybe from My Mother Has Four Noses or whatever uh, strikes your fancy today. I could do that. Uh, I figured since I was talking about, hmm, I was talking about her and her, you know, are you getting this down, Bully? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I will do that song. This is the first song in the show. And it's called, Are You Getting This Down? And as I said before, Bully is my nickname. My whole family still calls me Bully. So uh, here we go. Are you getting this down, Bully? It's good. Are you getting this down? All my pretty promises and my desperate amends Couldn't put me back together again Couldn't put me back together again But you did You did Getting this down, these dark and crazy scenes. Are you getting this down? The laughter in between. Cause everything I wanted eluded me each time. You're the only thing I ever knew was mine. The only thing I ever knew was mine was your love. your love and I never had to ask you know I never would I never had to hide you know I never could with you by my side are you getting this down this blood that's thicker than wine Are you getting this down? Bully, it's time Cause you've never been more beautiful And never so much mine I love you so you've saved me Now it's time I hope you know I'll be okay It's time But I'm fine I'm fine So are you getting this down? Bully Are you getting this down? Bully Are you getting this down? Bully I did I did. Thank you so much. 
<laughs> My pleasure. So, so beautiful. Jonathan, where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, I am on the Facebook. <laughs> like it or not, I'm on the mm-hmm. Facebook and I'm on the Instagram mm-hmm. under my name, Jonathan Brooke. And I have a website, jonathabrook.com mm-hmm. with tour dates and a mailing list and tablature and CDs and lyric sheets and mm. all the kinds of things that help keep me afloat. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with us today. Oh, I just loved this whole conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.